Hello, constant listener. On Cambridge.org, I found an article from 2018. The link is in the description of this podcast. It draws lines between gin possession and mental health. You heard me right. Jinns, or genies, as most Americans would recognize, can achieve possession of people, not just grant wishes. In fact, this belief is most likely found in Pakistan, Bangladesh, the Middle East, or North Africa. What's even more peculiar is that these cultures recognize two different forms of the word possession. The first involves invoking a true possession of prompting the supernatural. The second is probably closer to what I grew up hearing, a stroke of amnesia, loss of self-identity to something else taking you over, an induced trance. Jinns are old. We're talking pre-Christianity, pre-Judaism, more in the pagan area, old. The word jinn derives from the Arabic root jan, which conveys the idea of protecting, shielding, concealing, or veiling. Which I think is odd. I would consider that description to that of angels, but jinns are specifically not considered that elevated of a spiritual being. I read a few items referencing the Quran translated into English. It talked about the origins of jinn and how they exist. Origins speak about how man was molded from clay, and the aftersmoke of the fire that molded man became the jinn, almost a prophetic shadow of mankind. However, a jinn's life may honestly surprise you. It is remarkably normal. No, they're not in a lamp in the desert somewhere, but they eat, they get married, they have kids. They live alongside humans in their own world where we are unable to see them. However, unlike humans, they are able to shapeshift at will and vie for possession of a human body. Jinns are not definitively evil or good. They are given individual deference and a moral compass just like humans. They have the agency to believe or not to believe. To act good, evil, or apathetic, However, jinns who are up to no good will sense out humans who are weak in vices, hunger for power or control. These are things that make humans easily susceptible. Jinns hunt people who exhibit depression, lack of self-confidence, or lack of will. It is by expressing prayer and desire to be closer to holiness that makes one impervious to such menaces. It's not a one-to-one -one on Christians and demonism, but at a 50,000-foot view, to me, I think the parallels are there. But the story told to me by constant listener Marielle in California didn't involve exorcism, didn't involve any dabbling with a Ouija board or even really doing much to deserve what happened. She told me about a day that the devil was running around town in 1984 and how she witnessed something incredible that summer that no one in her town to this day really can fully explain. I only ask that we listen to her story. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. This story contains underage drinking and mild language. In the summer of 1984, I lived in a small town in California. When your town is about 3,000 total in population, and your school class is about a hundred kids. It's the kind of place where everyone knows everyone, and they still talk about that one time when the first stoplight got installed on Main Street. 
My mother came into my room. Marielle, get up, get up. Uh, what's wrong, Mom? Leroy, he's in the hospital. I blinked, still waking up. Leroy was the little boy up the street I'd babysit very occasionally for the Gilroys. How is Leroy hurt? Nine gunshots to the back. My eyes widened, and I immediately got dressed. As I walked out my front door, I could see up the street. Two police cars, really all the town had, were parked out in front of the Gilroys. Official do not cross line yellow tape was tied around the fence posts. The front door was wide open as multiple officers walked in and out, talking to each other and using their walkie-talkies. I saw Calvin in his officer suit walking around. Two years ago, he was just some big brother to my friend, Sophia. Psst, Calvin! I hissed at him and waved my hand, gesturing for him to come over to see me. He eyed me from across the lawn and shook his head. Sorry, Mare, I can't talk about it yet and he walked into the Gilroy's open front door. My mind was spinning. The Gilroy's owned the only local restaurant and bar in town. Everyone knew who they were. I met up with Sophia as planned later that afternoon. We just sat in her car, parked, watching the cars roll up and down the main road. Did you hear what happened this morning? She asked me. I did. Poor Leroy. Oh, no, I wasn't even talking about Leroy. I gave her a puzzled look. What news could be bigger than that? Wait, well, what were you talking about? The Consuelo brothers? No, I, I didn't hear that. What happened this morning? They went crazy. They were arguing and grabbed a kitchen knife and they tried to stab each other. Then they started chasing each other up and down the street and in and out of neighbors' houses too. Like they were just like run between rooms. So many people called up my big brother. Both of them were in cuss before they couldn't really hurt anybody other than themselves, but still weird, right? I sat listening to the cars rolling up and down the road. So she rolled her head, resting on her driver's headrest, to look at me. Your brother, he wouldn't tell me what happened to Leroy. Do you know anything? Sophia shrugged. All I know is that Ken shot him. They're still looking for him. I sat up in my chair. Leroy's dad shot him nine times? What else did Cal say? Like Kelvin really tells me anything. I don't know. I just know they're looking for him. What about the rest of the family? I pressed Sophia. I really don't know. Mom couldn't get in contact with them. She said shrugging, probably having the worst day. I slumped back down to my seat, looking out at Main Street again. Remember when we were little and Calvin played that prank on us? <laughs> Sophia placed her feet up onto the dashboard. Which prank? She smiled. Book of the Dead. Do you remember that? I mean, we were probably about six. I kind of do. Was that when Cal and, um, oh, what's his name? Yeah, I don't remember, but I know who you're talking about. The two of them told us about how Calvin kept the Book of the Dead under his bed, and that's why we weren't allowed to look under there. Sophia laughed. That's right. Thinking back on it, I'm sure he had other contraband and just didn't want us snooping. 
I asked him to prove it. That's right, Sophia nodded. So when he and what's-his-name came back, they had a black bedsheet over their head holding out a huge, large school textbook. Inside, they had taped college-ruled three-punch hole paper and had drawn names on it. Those names looked so creepy. The lettering was all flourishy and sharp and fake, and it was written in pencil. <laughs> I laughed pretty hard at the image in my head. Then Cal asked us if we wanted to sign it if we didn't believe it wasn't the Book of the Dead. You were so mad at me when I said I'd sign it just to prove my brother wrong. I mean, you were mad. And we both started to chuckle. <laughs> yeah, if I recall, that was the only time I punched Calvin in the arm really hard, like enough to bruise him. I grabbed her hand and I demanded we play Barbies instead. I shrugged. I wanted to keep you safe. We both kept laughing at the memory of being little. It may have only been 10 years ago at that point, but in that moment, sitting in that car looking over Main Street, 10 years felt like a lifetime ago. More cars rolled by as we felt the summer air drift around us. I started to think about why old man Gilroy would shoot at his son, and how badly I felt for the rest of his family. I wondered how they were doing too. Did you hear that? Sophia then sat up and immediately turned around to face her back seat. She practically whipped her whole body around in full alarm. She was wide-eyed and staring at the empty back seat. No, what did you hear? I turned around to look toward the back seat with her. I just... Let's just head over to the school field. They should be there by now. I nodded and buckled my seatbelt as she pulled onto the main street. We rolled into the school parking lot, and I could see two boys standing next to their car. One gave a friendly wave as we pulled in. Hey guys! Sophia waved back to her boyfriend. Kramer, did you get it? One of the guys smiled and pointed to the cooler at their feet. Each of the boys picked up a handle, and we began to walk to the school grounds over on the field. Hey, Soph. Kramer called over. What did Cal say? Guys, Calvin doesn't tell me anything. Sorry. I mean, I know Leroy's in the hospital, I said to the group. Nine shots to the back from his dad. Isn't that wild? Jose said as he struggled against the weight of the cooler handle. We found the right spot and sat down to open the cooler. A few beers peeked up at us from in between ice cubes. We laid back on the grass as we each held one beer. Kramer and Jose were joking with one another, making a lot of your mama jokes. Those were pretty big in the 80s. If you haven't heard enough of your mama jokes, I'd recommend looking up a few. And to be honest, there were a couple of Jose's that were pretty good zingers, and they made me snort a little. Very unpleasant to do with beer. <laughs> All of us were laughing pretty hard from the gut. About 15 minutes into hanging out and talking, Sophia stopped mid-laugh. She got real quiet and looked down into her lap, not saying a word. Almost as if she were tired. It didn't look like she was sad. Soph, what's wrong? I asked her. She didn't look up to me. Instead, she stood up on her feet, turned around, and began to walk away from us slowly. 
She dropped her half-full beer bottle from her hand as though she just didn't hold onto it tight enough and kept walking. Jose, Kramer, and I looked at one another, confused. Sophia, where are you going? Kramer called after his girlfriend. She didn't turn back to look at us. She just kept going, one foot in front of the other. We were laughing at each other about her odd behavior and watched as Sophia walked across the field toward the parking lot. I had enough and stood up and ran over to her to shake her shoulders. Sophia, hey, snap out of it. I shook her a little bit harder the second time when she didn't stop walking. After the second hard shake, Sophia did stop and turned to me, her arms loose at her sides. The look in her eye was almost anger, but I could tell her facial expression had more of an annoyance. She glared and said under her breath, I don't know you, bitch, and continued to slowly walk away. I raised my eyebrows and stood there midway on the grass a bit shocked. I started walking back toward Kramer and Jose. We watched as she didn't flinch when she passed her car and kept walking toward the street. That was when we saw two people at the edge of the parking lot and I became worried. We need to get to her, what is she doing? Jose asked out loud. Without another word, Jose and Kramer packed up the cooler and the three of us started to walk toward where Sophia was. While Jose and Kramer were weighted down with the ice chest, I began to jog ahead to try and make up lost ground. As I got closer to the edge of the lot, I recognized the two men standing there. Did you guys see Sophia? Two elderly gentlemen who I knew worked at the local hardware store nodded. One gentleman in a plaid shirt and a cowboy hat asked me, she okay? I mean, we tried to say hello to her and she totally ignored us. Where is she? Across the street. One of the towners pointed across the way. Jose and Kramer finally caught up, waddling, holding onto the ice chest. A blood-chilling scream echoed from the other side of the street. That sounds like Soph, I said. Kramer and Jose dropped the ice chest. The three of us, in a full run, darted across the street toward the only Catholic church in town. As we rounded the back of the building, there was Sophia on the ground, writhing. It didn't look like a seizure, exactly, but she was convulsing and struggling like she was hurt. I leaned down to look her over for any signs of attack, but there wasn't any blood. She's grabbing at her neck, Jose said, and I took a step back. It looked like she was trying to grab at something near her neck like it was choking her horribly. I started to cry and knelt beside her to try and hold her down. One of the towners on the other side of the street heard the commotion and ran to the nearest home to dial for police and her mother. The second towner came over to the street to try and help. He turned to me and said, What did you do to her? My eyes widened. What? What do you mean, what did I do to Sophia? <laughs> Sophia started laughing. A slow, low laugh. Then she'd start to cry, then laugh. Sophia's mother came to the church ahead of the police. Sophia stopped struggling and stood up. Her mother reached out to hug her, asking, what's wrong? Sophia had a deadness in her eyes and voice, and she said, Don't touch me, you bitch. 
I'd never heard Sophia say anything like that to her mother in all the years that I'd known her. And then Sophia collapsed again onto the ground and screaming and grabbing at her neck. Her mother was crying hysterically as Calvin rolled up with his police car. Everyone, back up, back up. He looked at me. What drugs did you give her? I raised my eyebrows at the accusation. We don't do drugs. We had one beer on the field, but that's it. She didn't even drink all of it. Calvin leaned down to look at his sister. She'd gone limp, and her eyes were wide open. I'm asking you again. What drugs did you give my sister? Her life may depend on it. I was at a loss. I... I, I didn't... There are no drugs. No one wanted to believe me, Jose, or Kramer. And later that afternoon, I was asked to come down to the station to give my statement on Sophia. I told the same story as before. We were on the field, drinking our first and only beer that afternoon. No drugs. As I was leaving the desk, I saw Sophia behind bars in a straitjacket of some kind. Her hair was long and wild about her face, and she stared at me like a hungry animal. She started to laugh. I really have a hard time thinking about that exact laugh Sophia gave the few minutes before she started screaming in that jail cell. I mean, but this time she was demanding that she wanted the whole world around her and she was going to count down from 10. Then she'd start to count down. And when she'd hit zero, she'd scream and scream and then start to laugh like it was a joke that only she understood. Then she'd start to cry again, then laugh. I mean, she was completely out of her mind. As I left, I saw Calvin sitting outside the precinct. He was on a stone bench holding his hat. Hey, Cal, are you okay? There was some hesitancy, and then he nodded. Mar, something's wrong. I mean, I really hope this is the last of it. What do you mean? The Consuelo brothers, trying to stab each other this morning. Sophia, acting weird. And the Gilroys. Marielle, they're all dead. Except for Leroy. But surviving nine shots to the back is a miracle. I sat there stunned, patient, listening to Cal. How are they all gone, Cal? I asked with a heavy weight in my stomach. We found Ken. And besides, it's all about to come out anyway. I stayed quiet and let him talk. Ken killed his wife, the two older sons, and Leroy got away by crawling through a small bathroom window and riding away on his bike with bullets in him. Ken then took his car, picked up his sister, and drove outside of town. He dropped her off in the middle of nowhere. Ken kept driving further out and ate his own gun that he killed his whole family with. He left his sister alive? I asked, a twist creeping up in my stomach. Yeah, she walked back to town. That's the only way we knew what road to go down to find him in his car. Cal, I am so sorry. I am too. Look, I'm not asking this to be cross. I just, I really gotta know. Know what? What drugs is Sophia on? All I could do was shake my head. 
Cal nodded and looked down at his hands. Yeah, sure. He sniffed and stood up placing his hat back on his head. Sophia was checked into a mental facility that night. Her stomach was pumped and put through a tox screening. We'd find out more in a few days. But the next morning after everything happened, Kramer knocks hard on my door, angry. He stood there saying, if they find anything in my girlfriend's system, you're going to jail. How could you give her drugs? And from that moment forward, Kramer and I just never hung out. Sophia's mother was also fairly convinced I'd done something to her. I heard later that the laughing and crying emotional loop went on for four more straight days at the hospital. When the tox report came back, people just didn't want to believe it. She didn't have anything in her system but beer, and not even enough beer to make her drunk. Maybe a sip or two. About a month after, my parents told me they are going to go visit Sophia's house to offer support and ask if there's anything that their family needs. My mom was good friends with Sophia's mom, after all. When they came back later that evening, I could tell something was bothering my mom. I sat on the couch watching TV, and she made a point to stand in front of me. Marielle, I don't want you to go visit Sophia anytime soon. I stood up, walked over to the TV, and clicked off our old rabbit ears. Is her mom still mad at me? I asked. No, not that. I mean, I don't want you going there. Something is still wrong with her. I can feel it. I didn't even want to step into her room to say hi when I knew there was something in her eyes. I don't want to say much more than that, but just promise me you won't go. My mother then walked away toward the kitchen and began prepping dinner. I did see Sophia around school, and we didn't talk to each other for another full two years. It wasn't until we were in our twenties that she and I were thick as thieves once more. We never talked about that day, and once when I did bring it up, I asked her what happened. She just answered with, you gave me drugs. There was one other experience with Sophia that still gives me shivers. She and I had driven from our small town to the big city to go clubbing one weekend. The drive back home is pretty rural, and long stretches of farmland or rolling hills with just stars and your headlights. She was sitting in my passenger seat, fairly tired as it was 2am. I had the radio on, and there's a stretch of road that the radio reception just isn't so great. It was all crackly, so I turned it off, and we drove in absolute silence. from a near-dead rest, sits up abruptly and looks into the back seat. Did you hear that? She asked me alarmed. I felt ice wash through me, remembering that moment six years prior. No, Soph. Go back to sleep. She settled back in and closed her eyes. All the rest of the way home, I gripped my steering wheel with white knuckles. I drove, hoping she wouldn't start laughing or crying. Thank you, Constant Listener. I was excited to share this original experience with all of you. This story has had all names and locations obfuscated for the Constant Listener's privacy. As always, please come to find Coppershock on Facebook, and I'll see you at the next episode.